With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, give me a few secs of uh, silence and we'll get this started. A few, a few secs? A few secs, yeah. Seconds? Like what, Like S-E-X? Oh. oh. No, S-E-C-S. God damn it. Start the show. <laughs> Fuck you. Welcome to the special New Orleans Saints Monday night football edition of the Keep Sounding podcast. This is Brian, joined by John and Brad. Brad, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Good, good, good. And uh, John, how are you doing this evening? I have no complaints. Doing well. How are you, Brian? I could be better. I mean, we just lost to the Browns. That sucked. <laughs> Just, just the nut. It was, it was. They made me do way much, way too much effort. I put in way too much effort as a fan for them to lose to the Browns. Because I drove through the the winter storm Diego, picked up pizza, and drove halfway across the city to find a TV with football on it to watch the Panthers lose to the Browns. They should be ashamed. They should be ashamed. And, uh, it's it's really sad because like I said this to my friends in the Pennsylvania area. I was like, it would be the most Panthers thing ever for them to lose out of the playoffs to the fucking Browns. And sure enough, <laughs> that's what they did. And granted, they're not mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. They just have to, you know, beat the Saints twice and beat the Falcons. But still, I, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm thoroughly in the court of this is the playoffs are gone. And it was to Baker Mayfield and the fucking Browns. So let's talk about that. Yeah, I, I will say the 538 has the Panthers with a 9% chance of making the playoffs. So, there's a chance. <laughs> so you're saying there's a even chance. Even if we lose, even if we lose on Monday, there's still a chance. It's like 2% or something, but it basically like the, like Washington and the Eagles and the Cow, or no, and the Vikings like all have to lose out. And we could make the playoffs still, even if we Which, lose on Sunday. Funny enough, isn't that impossible when you think about it? I mean, like, it's <laughs> Mark Sanchez is leading the Redskins. Uh, Carson Wentz was officially announced as out this week with a broken back. I think he's out for the season. Um, and yeah. the Vikings are just bad for some reason. So <laughs> it's not entirely impossible. But it would be nice to see the Panthers try and, you know, actually make a case to be a playoff team rather than just stumble into it like they did back in 2014 
<laughs> yeah, like, cool, we made the playoffs. We're at 8-8. Eight and eight. Like, wow, now we're going to go lose to the Bears. Cool. So fun. Much yeah. fun. So much fun. Or they could get lucky and play the Bears after Mitch Trubisky and uh, uh, what's-his-face, their backup. Um, Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel get hurt. That would be funny. We played a third-string quarterback again <laughs> in the playoffs. Like, oh, like the Cardinals. <laughs> I do like how how frequently that's used as justification for our uh, like you know validation. Like, oh yeah, we were seven, eight, and one, but we did win a playoff game. Yeah. So we want to get like the Nathan Peterman of that era. Like, it wasn't really a playoff win. I believe it was historically the worst offensive showing by any playoff team. It was, which I guess you could say, like, well, the defense played well, but you could also say the the Cardinals with Ryan Lindley were that bad every week leading up to well, it. Well, it's not like the defense, the Carolina Panthers' twenty fourteen defense was like elite by any means either. Like they were, no. they were decent. They were like maybe top fifteen, but they didn't justify a like two thousand three Ravens type aura for that one playoff game. <laughs> so no, not at all. Yeah. So you know. But let's uh, let's let's chat about but the Browns for a little bit, if you want. Unless you gotta have something else that you want yes. to add. No, got a couple things. One, this is the first time I've watched. Like I've seen Baker Mayfield this year. You know, especially on the Red Zone channel and stuff. That was the first time I've watched him play like a game start to finish, and he's really really good. He is. He's got he's got a very live arm, as as many of the quarterback scouts would say. Um, he's definitely he's definitely competent and uh. I, I do say I like uh, he he's just one of the few Cleveland quarterbacks I've ever seen who can like deliver the ball, the ball down the field and it's not in a triple coverage. Like I think part <laughs> of that has to do with the fact their offensive coordinator's pretty good and they've been freed of mm-hmm. Hugh Jackson. <laughs> but yeah, no like as not... w- Sorry, go ahead. As wild like they they've they have as many or more wins in the last like what f- four games or five games. Than they did in the two years, like two and a half years, that Hugh Jackson coached. Yep. <clears throat> and it's not to take anything away from the Browns as like a team, like ta- like talent wise, they're actually pretty good. I mean, Mayfield, Chubb, they got Miles Garrett, they got tons of really good talent on the defensive side. It's Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry is a yeah. decent receiver. Um, you know they they've got good players. Rashad Perryman. Rashad Perryman. You know they the guy they just. Take waivers off the Ravens. He was first he's round a pick. first round pick, though. He's another one of multitudes <laughs> of first round picks that they have. So, I mean, I, I I see the the vision though. Like I understand, you know, if you see like a former first round pick get waived, it's like, hey, you know, they had enough talent to go to get that kind of consideration. Let's see if maybe a change of scenery can bring it out of them. And if any team can take that chance, it's the Cleveland Browns, because what else can happen? <laughs> you just end up cutting them. Oh they have well, nothing to lose. Exactly. So, yeah, it's not to take anything away from the Browns, but the Panthers should have won that game. Like from a talent standpoint, they should have won that game, and they just beat themselves as they've done the last five weeks in a row. It's getting tiresome. It really is. <laughs> Finding another new way to do it. Yeah, and that like kinda. I guess it was pretty similar to the Steelers game, but. But yeah. It was in the sense of like every time the Panthers had like a decent group of plays go, all of a sudden Cleveland came back with like a huge play. And yeah. 
as we've discussed ad nauseum, like Ron Rivera's style of football is all about like those two to three or four plays that define the game. The problem is Carolina lets like eight of them happen every game. <laughs> yeah. Just... On that point, like letting games stay close, uh, I did some research. Um, in Ron Rivera's, and now it's it's gone, so I don't have it in front of me, but pretty much correct. Ron Rivera is now 35 and 23 in games decided by more than one score. You know, also known as a you know a good team, um, and we're 35 and 31 and one in games decided by one score or less. So like, to me that says that more often than not we're better than the team we're playing against. So to have the idea of you know we gotta keep it close, let the score keep the score low, try to win it with a couple big plays here and there. It's like that's that's what you do when you're the underdog. You don't do that when you're when you're better than who you're playing, which more often than not we are. And that's the problem. That's the problem with Ron Rivera's style of, style of football these days is that his mar- his his football style, the margin of error is so small for mm-hmm. like winning or winning the turnover battle or scoring more points than the other team. Where like nowadays in the NFL, you have teams like the Rams and the Chiefs and the Chargers and the Patriots, where they're just trying, and the Saints, where they're putting up more points than the other team can score. They're just they're. They're aggressive, and that's the problem. Is like this conservative style yeah. of trying to make the other team make more mistakes than you is just not working anymore. Especially when the Panthers are just so gung ho on running the football and so gung ho on their bend but don't break defense. Like they're making way more mistakes per game than the other team. Right. Yes. And you know, it would be different if they had like five solid NFL starting caliber, like Pro Bowl linemen. Maybe I could see it, but Mm -hmm. in this day and age, it's just like, like we've said before, and again, ad nauseum on this podcast. Passing the ball, there's just such a greater potential for a good play than there is for running the ball in a 11 guys on the line of scrimmage type set. And Ron Rivera yeah. is still like, doing um, it. Go ahead. And North, yeah, like, like if you have like the 2016 Cowboys offensive line, go for it because they they'll those five guys will push 12 guys off the line of scrimmage and you can score. But other than that. Like, I put the screenshots in. When we were lined up like that, the Browns had 11 players within 15 feet of the football, um, both, you know, vertically and horizontally on the field. There's nowhere to run, even if everybody wins their blocks. Like, there's just no space. And then there's two people that are unblocked, so even if everybody does their job, there's still two people that are going to be unblocked. It's just... It's such a difficult way to score. And then the first time we got close, we went three two wide and had dj Moore doing like the jet sweep motion in the backfield they did a read option of mccaffrey he went in untouched the browns did that wild misdirection play to jarvis landry he went in untouched it's wild how that happens yeah it's wild how what how when you get less bodies on the line of scrimmage it's easier to run the ball crazy yeah crazy how that whole uh you know mass thing works 
Yeah, like, easier to find space when there's more space. Yeah. Less atoms in your way, you know? <laughs> I yes. think... Uh, and the sad part is, like, I think we saw what... I think a lot of us were more expecting from this deep, from this offense against the Browns. Why well, I should say, I think we saw from the Browns play calling wise a lot more of what we expected from this Carolina offense over the course of the season with the way they they ran Jarvis Landry on those on those sweeps. Like both times he went untouched, and both times they were huge gains. Whether it was like the, sto- the scoring drive or the one where he ran what like sixty yards or something like that. Like no. I think it was like fifty one or something. Yeah, yeah like. That's yeah, the kind yeah. of offense you should expect from a team that has DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel at wide receiver, but instead they just they either decide like it's really weird about this team because like they have the pieces to run a spread type power rushing offense, but instead what they do is they put maybe one or two of those wide receivers I just mentioned on the field and Christian McCaffrey on the field and run it up the gut on short yardage situations instead of like using that motion to score. And as you mentioned, it works when you spread the ball out and make the defense account for everybody rather than just the, the guys who are behind the ball. So. Uh. Yeah. Also we have guys like Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, just make them run out routes over and over again. Like, cool. Yep. Um, good job. Um, I want to talk about the players um, DJ Moore is really good still. I'm excited about him moving forward. Um, Curtis Samuel had the quietest 80 yard game I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, I don't, if you told me after the game, like how many catches do you think Curtis Samuel had have had? I'll be like, uh, one, maybe zero. I don't know. And they're like, no, he had four catches for 80 yards. Oh, I didn't. When did that happen? Well, just again, it's, it's akin to the same things that we've been struggling with over the last five weeks. It's that the Panthers don't score when they have the opportunity to do so. So those plays by, by Samuel to put him closer to scoring range or closer to field goal range just don't really matter when the offense turns the ball over or misses field goals or knocks themselves out of field goal range or ends up punting. Like Those plays become less memorable because they didn't amount to anything. At least that's my opinion on it. And uh, I did, one of Curtis Samuel's catches was um, the Hail Mary at the end of the first half for 33 yards and nothing of significance. Yeah, he had no chance oh. of scoring on that. <laughs> I know, it was pretty funny. Like, he caught it. It's like, oh, good catch, Curtis. And it's like, cool, good job. Good job, guys. We got <laughs> good job. Let's run, the, let's run the locker room. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ian but, Thomas was good, though. Yes, Ian Thomas was good, too. The, he had, what, nine catches? Or something like yeah, that? nine catches for around 70, 70 to 80 yards. Yeah, I think it was like uh, 77. Definitely a breakout game for him. Kind of shows what he can be for the Panthers' offense in the future. Um, definitely has some receiving ability. He demonstrated a little bit better veteran awareness. Like, uh, there was one catch where he, he caught the ball with, like, what, like five yards away from the line of scrimmage and turned it upfield uh-huh. and turned it into, like, a 20-yard gain. That was pretty he good. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, he had yak from a tight end, no less. What? And, uh, yeah, he seems to be the heir apparent to Greg Olson. I don't see any reason why they are going to, why they shouldn't throw him the ball a little more. Yeah. I think he's going to be a solid PPR guy, hashtag fantasy, for the last three weeks of the season. 
I've got him as tight end, tight end one. Tight end one by far. TE one. Um, do you know who wasn't good? There's a lot of people you could mention, so Devin go ahead Funches. and tell me. Devin Funches. Oh, that's a shocker. <laughs> I mean, he he just kind of like seemed to he just like packed up his bag and shut it down after the the Lions game or before the Lions game, I guess. Yeah, there's just something wrong with him right now. I think like. Because we've seen him play for the last two years, and he's always been like, I don't want to say consistent, but you've just seen the effort from him on the field, and like, yeah, that, that throw where he that throw where he got missed by Cam seems to have been like just a miscommunication between the two. Um, from what I've seen from like several film tweets about it, it seems like Funches did the right thing based on the play, but at the same time, like. You're supposedly the number one receiver, like the best outlet for Cam Newton. You have to be able to hook up with him when he needs you to be open. And he was like, that's just one of those things where like veteran wide receivers in the NFL, like Antonio Brown on that play, they read the defense, they turn their head, they make that catch because it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, that's not how the play was drawn up, but it's a really easy score. And Funches just doesn't apparently have the game awareness to do that just yet. And quite frankly, are we willing to pay him a second contract to believe that maybe he could do that someday? Did he I don't know. What, three, I mean, sorry, he had what three targets on Sunday? Yeah, he didn't catch a single damn one of them. No, well, two of them he wasn't even looking for the ball when it went his over his head. I can't remember the third. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so I maybe he doesn't want to play anymore. I don't think it's like that. I just think that it's one of those situations where he's just not playing well right now. And that's not to justify saying, oh, Carolina should bring him back. It's just like, I think he's one of those players who's on a skid, just like several of these players are on this Carolina Panthers team. I think the most off-putting thing, though, is that on top of struggling with his play, it seems like his effort is diminishing as well. Yeah... It's not like, quite so as like bad one, as Kelvin Benjamin, but yeah. No, but there was shades of that on Sunday with like the like you were talking about earlier with the one where he was running the seam route and just kind of slowed down and never looked back and he was wide open. Like even if the play is not designed for you, it's like, hey man, nobody's covering me. Maybe Cam will see me. And that's the pre-snap awareness that you want from a number one wide receiver. I mean, like you yeah. see it from like DeAndre Hopkins, Antonio Brown, guys like. Even Julian Edelman, for example, like those are the guys where it's like, okay, this is where the soft spot's going to be. Like they read that off the snap and they settle down. They let they let the quarterback find them rather than run the play as it's drawn up to be. And for a guy who's who started the season off as the de facto number one wide receiver, that's not a good thing. No. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I as part of it, I wonder if there's any like animosity or whatever because he's losing snaps to DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, or if he's just frustrated with the season, or if he's just in his own head or what. But it's I think he's also still injured, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, I saw. I can't remember what it was. If it was like a a fantasy thing, but it was like Devin Funches is struggling with a back injury, and the back injuries limited him to like one catch over the last three weeks or something. And it was like, I don't know if it's the back injury or poor play or a combination of both or what. 
I don't know. I'm a tall guy, and I know when you're when I was playing football, running routes with a bad back sucks. So well, I'm not saying that he shouldn't play better since he's an NFL receiver. I'm not. I'm just trying to like add a little more context for our listeners here. Not to say that he's quit on the season or anything like that, but yeah. Unless yeah, he, he really shows up these last three weeks of the season, he's gonna he's gonna be looking for a new job next year, for sure. Yeah. Like I don't see any reason to bring him back when DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel are more consistent than him. So yeah, I don't. Especially if he's gonna yeah, demand any sort of top money. Right. <clears throat> right. Why don't we talk about the defense for a little bit though before we get into the Saints game? I know the Browns game was uh was rough, but on one end, Luke Keekley was like really good Sunday. Pretty much kept the defense in the game through sheer force of will. Twelve tackles, two force fumbles, two and a half tackles for a loss. For what's considered a down year, that was a really good game by Luke Keekley. Like one of the better ones I've seen, to be honest, from him. Yeah, he um he made Jarvis Landry and Jarvis Landry's not fast by any means, but he made him look like tight end speed with how quickly he ran him down on that one run. Yep. I have to hand it to the dude. Like he like despite the fact that like and granted Ron Rivera's like, Oh, we're still in the playoffs, so we gotta keep playing we're still in the playoff hunt, so we gotta keep playing. Like, for most players I imagine they see the writing on the wall, like it's not gonna happen. Yeah. You don't lose five straight games after going six and two and suddenly think we're gonna make the playoffs. Like but Luke Keekley is playing like this is the Super Bowl on the line and I applaud the guy for it. I really do. Yeah, we got him right where we want him. <laughs> um So we discussed this a little bit in the Slack chat and I do want to bring it up a bit. Um so I think the biggest problem with this defense right now is the f- and there's there was there had to have been some kind of fundamental disconnect between Eric Washington, Ron Rivera, and Marty Herney over the offseason. because quite frankly over the over these entire last the from start to finish at least to this week of the season it's pretty clear they don't have the personnel that they need to to run the defense they want to like. This defense clearly needs a very versatile safety who, can, who has range running all over the field, and they clearly need a very consistent pass rusher, and they don't have either of those, which is why the defense is bad. Yeah, like like you said, there's no uh, like Ron Rivera and Eric Washington need a thing need some things for the defense to really work, and we have nothing close to resembling any of those things. Yep, like. I just see, I've seen it enough over the last few weeks that I've like I've figured it out. Like the safeties have to be, the safeties have to be versatile, and I I think that Eric Reed can be that, but he's not the free safety they need. Like they Carolina used to get away with having like two strong safeties, but that was because their front seven was so strong. Where yeah, now they they tasked Mike like there was that play that they broke down where James Bradbury was essentially playing, uh like a, a single high safety the, where yeah. Dante Jackson got beat. The And Dante Jackson was on an island, but if James Bradbury didn't shade the other way to leave Dante Jackson on the island, he would have left Mike Adams on an island with David and Joku. Yeah. Not a good look. Like, and Mike, like that's, that's the thing that 
really bothers me about this defense is like they ask Mike Adams and they ask Eric Reed to do way too much considering the skill sets that they bring to the table. Like you could take either one of those guys and pair them with a guy like Earl Thomas and I think they'd be successful. But they can't be with without that without that complimentary piece and without that front seven being as good as they have been in the past. Yeah, you can't really get away with being predictable with your like with with the defensive sets you're running if uh you don't have that talent and versatility and athleticism in the back. Like everybody knows we're going to play cover 3 especially to start a game, you know, to kind of get our footing. So the Browns ran a two-man route combination that's designed explicitly to beat cover 3 and nothing but cover 3. And got a wide open they sent two players out on routes and we had seven in coverage and they got a wide open receiver down the field. Yeah, because and the re and a good a good case study of that is the Seattle cover three concept because they ran that per, to perfection, but the 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 X factor was Earl Thomas because he could cover that kind of situation and still make it work for the defense. Yeah. Where making James Bradbury do that or Eric Reed or Mike Adams is bad news. <laughs> yeah, so it's like. Yeah, you've got Earl Thomas who has more fundamentally. Range. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go, no, you're fine. Because you got Earl Thomas who has like the most range out of just about any safety in the NFL uh, before he started getting hurt, and then on, and then he even can kind of shade one way because Richard Sherman's so good that you know, you know, he doesn't, he knows that Richard Sherman doesn't really need any help. So that's how that works because <clears throat> that like they're talented enough to where you can't get open even when you know what they're doing, and they've always had the pass rush to make it, you know, rush the quarterbacks into poor decisions. Yeah. We don't have either of those, any of those things. We don't have a lockdown corner or rangy safety or a dominant pass rush. Yeah. Like fundamentally, I see what Carolina's defense is trying to do. Like they're trying to get after the passer, make them throw the ball quickly, make them throw the ball into a window where it's going to be tough for the receiver to catch it. The problem is, that none of those things happen on a given play most of the time. Yeah. Like, so for Carolina to, to make, and I, I am really, I'd be shocked if they make the playoffs this year. And even if they do, I'm not going to ever think they're going to make the Super Bowl. But if they want to turn this team around next year, at least as far as the defensive plays go, go out in free agency and sign the rangiest safety you can get for free safety get in the draft and find the best pass rusher you can get. And I believe you turn this defense around right there. Breaking news. Kelvin Benjamin just caught a pass for Kansas city. <gasps> wild. He caught a pass. He caught a pass. Me? He is wild. He hasn't dropped one yet. One target, one catch. And then they took him out of the game. I guess got to quit while he's ahead. Are you sure it wasn't the bartender passing him a some mozzarella sticks? <laughs> oh, it was a football thrown, thrown by Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> and he got wow. the, got the catch, came off the field, you know, got some some high fives and put the trench coat on him, let him warm himself up after that after that big play. There you go, Kelvin. There you go. Good job, Kelvin. Good job, Kelvin. <laughs> so. Let's let's break down what's probably going to be a bad, a, a rough Saints game. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So for starters, the Saints have the number one rushing attack in the NFL. And they also have a pretty good, damn good passing attack. <laughs> so this Carolina defense that has struggled against, you know, the Browns and the Lions gets to face them on Monday Night Football. Thoughts? Um, Probably won't go well, Brian. That's a bold move, Cotton. We'll see how it works <laughs> out for him. Um, yeah, I, I see I see issues. And uh, I've said this a few times throughout the uh, podcasting season, but I think the Saints wrote the book on how to beat this Panthers defense, and this is when they were good, um, which is to make the linebackers play absolutely flawlessly, which they're not doing right now. And I, I just see, I see a lot of problems unless this front seven wakes up and just, dominates the line of scrimmage, which I just do not see happening. No, I don't either. Um, and then the Saints are, yeah. are best at what we're bad at covering, which is getting the ball out quick to guys like Alvin Kamara, who are can't be tackled, and Michael Thomas, who catches everything, things like that. Especially in the seam. He he destroyed the Panthers in the seam last year, and I don't see that changing yeah. this, this week either. And I'm, like, irrationally not unconfident in this game because the last time I saw the Saints play was when they lost to the Cowboys and then they were losing to the Buccaneers kind of forgetting that they scored 28 straight points or 25 straight points in the second half against the Buccaneers to kind of go back to their dominant ways so yeah they're trending in the right direction again. yeah yeah it could be rough um Looking at it from the sense of, okay, maybe Carolina might have a chance. The way I see that would be uh, you put maybe Dante Jackson or James Bradbury on Michael Thomas the entire game. Yeah. And they miraculously play well. <laughs> and you basically force Drew Brees to throw the ball to other people and Carolina's front seven steps up and stops the run. And granted, they, they've been better throughout the last few weeks stopping the run. Yeah, I will give them that. The run. Last couple weeks, they're they're not they're not they're not a great defense, but like this, the last two weeks they've been very good at stopping the run. So, if there's a situation where this Carolina defense shows up and plays well against the Saints, it's that they lock down Michael Thomas with a guy like Bradbury, and Brad Bradbury is kind of hit or miss because there's weeks where he shuts down Mike Evans, and there's weeks where he doesn't shut down Mike Evans. We've seen both of those. Yeah. So, um. It, it's possible, like, if he's on Thomas and limits him to, like, three or four receptions and the Panthers' rush defense shows up, that the, the Saints' offense struggles throwing the ball a little bit. So, that's the perfect scenario, and I would hope that Ron Rivera's prepared for it, but that's a little too optimistic for me at this point after losing five straight games. <laughs> so. Um I, I, ironically, like I alluded to earlier, I think the best chance we have to win is to do... It's, it's time for Ron Rivera to go to his bread and butter because the saints are um, inarguably better than us. So the, the larger uh, sample size of possessions we have, the more likely they are to win. So our best hope basically is to minimize the number of possessions so that any variance, like a, a Drew Brees interception that he doesn't throw or like a fumble or something, um, makes a big impact on the game and we were able to capitalize on it, you know, like, take advantage like a, a breakdown right. in coverage for the Saints and we score a fluky touchdown and the Saints fumble it and if we limit the possessions like that that 14 point swing or whatever could uh be enough to decide the game so 
it's your so you're time saying to... that when the Saints, you're saying when the Saints do have the ball to let them keep it as long as possible. Yeah, saying. like yeah, I mean not like to the extent that we do now, where we're just like, yeah, you're allowed to catch it, and we'll buckle up in the red zone because we definitely don't do that. But there is an uh, like an under an argument to be made, or I could understand, you know, being a little bit more conservative on the defensive side of the ball. Because the more plays you make the Saints run, the more chances you have for them to make that mistake that you need them to make. Because you're not, but on the other hand, you know, because that's the only way you're going to stop them, really. Like, you're not going to just buckle down and stop the Saints and be like, oh, yeah, you're going three and out, five drives in a row. So you just got to try to nah, make No, it definitely won't happen. You just gotta, we basically are going to be hoping for them to make mistakes and hoping that we catch a lucky break or two. That's how we win this game. And give everybody hope that uh, we'll make the playoffs and go to the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> on the offensive side of the ball, how did the Panthers win this game? Uh, give it to McCaffrey every single play. Maybe sprinkle in some DJ more. You know, it's sad, because... but I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ashley talked about that today in the offensive preview, or yesterday, from hearing this, about McCaffrey needs to the ball needs to be on the ground a bunch which i don't know it, you know we can throw it it's just we need to move the ball as efficiently as we can and McCaffrey does that well i would also like to see cam run more she may have gotten that idea from me by the way just so you know um <laughs> but <laughs> um no i think that carolina in order for this game to be a successful offensive game despite the fact that the saints rushing defense is really good they have to run the ball just because Carolina's passing offense has not been good. Like Cam hasn't been on point with his throws. So I think that you have to run the ball. Like you have to establish the run as, as sad as that makes me <laughs> just to say it. Like, I think they have to do that in this game because that's the most successful success they've had over the last few weeks is just running the ball with McCaffrey. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's tough to depend on Cam right they they can't have Cam throw the ball forty times a game, especially not against the Saints. It's just not going to work. Especially if his arm's going to fall off. Also that, but That's... yeah, like he's just they they haven't been good when Cam has had to throw the ball way more than they run the ball. Like they got to be more balanced, and I think that they're going to have to try and shove the ball down the Saints' throat, no matter how how. Bad that may look on paper. I'm sure Ron Rivera is like salivating at that idea, but <laughs> I think they have to try and shove the ball down the Saints' throat as far as running the ball. Like that, in order to be successful, they just have to to limit the to limit the strain on Cam, to limit the hits he's going to take. Like this is a game where McCaffrey has to take over. Yeah, agreed. And yeah. also, just like getting the ball into the hands of DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel and Ian Thomas. Uh, and with a chance to make plays. All of them have shown the ability to run the ball after catching it. So, yeah, run the ball, throw the ball short, keep Cam protected, let him run the ball a little bit. I think that you have a solid game plan there. It's going to be tough because I imagine the Saints will be prepared for that, but <laughs> overall that's the highest success rate you're going to have because Cam throwing the ball down the field right now is just not reliable. Mm-hmm. We're going to come out there and run it like four times in a row to start the game and average eight yards of carry. And Sean Payton's like, I did not see this coming. I would never have guessed that they would do this. <laughs> we'll see Which... if the Panthers score easily on their first drive, they're going to lose. 
Because that's what they've done <laughs> the last five weeks. Yeah. It's it's back to the Shula days of we got a great scripted drive and then we're just out of luck after that. Yep. The lack of adjustments. It's, it's just it's just terrifying. But if somehow they manage to pull out a win against the Saints, that's that's a huge, huge momentum shift for the rest of the season. I just I don't see it personally, but it, this is Carolina football, and we know how weird they can be at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So, who knows? Um, just when they have you feeling good about them, they lose all their games, so you lose all your confidence, and that's when they do their best. Yep, once they've beaten the confidence out of you and you're just like, all right, I'm ready for this top 10 pick, that's when they show up and beat a playoff <laughs> caliber team with ease. Um, so speaking of that, uh, wh- why don't we get the score predictions here? Uh, John, what's your prediction? I'm still going to pick the Panthers, even though they, though they don't. Yeah, even though I don't think they'll win, because that's that's my uh, that's my shtick, and I'm sticking to it. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Panthers 31, Saints 26. <clears throat> Your turn. I believe that the Saints will beat the Panthers 35 to 16. I just don't see the uh, offense yeah, being able to keep up. I just don't. Uh, it's a very reasonable take. Yeah. Reasonable. <laughs> so I have one more one more thing I wanted to, to talk about before we uh, wrap it up. Or I guess this would be to wrap it up. So I was, at, I was at lunch one day, and there was a radio on, and it was on uh, WFNZ, which is Sports Talk Radio in Charlotte. And it was Frank Garcia and – it was Garcia and Bailey – and Bailey asked the question, are we as a market too easy on Cam? And I thought that was an absurd question to ask. And obviously there are people, I think, that, you know, that are run to his defense for everything, which I think, and I probably could, you could probably lump me into part of that. But I think that's a reaction to the fact that there's a huge segment of the fan base that for the longest time, was calling for Derek Anderson, he who has thrown more interceptions than touchdowns in his career, to start over a guy that's won an MVP and been to like four Pro Bowls and the best player the Panthers have ever had. And we're like, ah, oh, we got to start Derek Anderson. And I've never seen a quarterback get more flack for like the individual throws that he misses. Like, yeah, Cam was all right, but you see that one time he overthrew uh, DJ Moore in the second quarter? I really wish we had like an Aaron Rodgers type guy that just never missed a throw ever. And I've I'd like I've never seen that from anyone else. And I thought it was just weird to ask, like, are we too easy on him? Do you think we, we need to be tougher on this guy? And I was like, I, I don't know, he seems to always get and I know it's just it comes with being a quarterback, but it seems like he gets way more put on his shoulders than should be expected. Well I think he gets and, way like the bar is set way too high. I think he gets way more put on his shoulders by the team. <laughs> Let alone just well, yeah. the fans. Like, it's funny what like listening to people who don't actually watch Cam Newton play every Sunday, or who like question mm-hmm. his skill or his control of the offense. Where we're sitting here like yeah. he's the only reason this team isn't going four and twelve every year. Like, yeah, it. it I, I get it. Like, it, there's there's a loyalty factor and like a like a um. 
a fanboy factor to it where it's like we enjoy watching Cam Newton play football, so therefore we are more inclined to defend him, but he is a good quarterback. He's he's one of the few players in the league who can like single handedly take over a game and win it against any team. And yeah. it's annoying. It's just it's it's very annoying when like the national media jumps on his back because they the Panthers collapse like they have over the last few weeks. Yeah, just like for a perfect example, like um like if you were to ask me, like, what is your unbiased take on Cam Newton? It's like, well, he can make every single throw. He's good at reading defenses. Uh he always make he typically makes good decisions, but sometimes he gets a little too aggressive and he has days where he's erratic. And I think that's a pretty fair yeah, like that, that- assessment of him. That is absolutely. But it's hard to share that. It's hard to share that assessment because there's so many people that were like, like after the Browns game, like this past Sunday, where so many things went wrong, and then like, you know, just casual fans are like, yeah, because Cam missed that. It would be fine if Cam made that throw in the end zone. It's like, oh, there's so many more glaring issues that game than that one throw that Cam missed, and it's just like, and then there's this kind of tone of here we go again every time he throws an incomplete pass or like you know he overthrows he misses an open receiver and i swear people act like he's the only quarterback to have ever missed an open receiver cam just gets put in these situations especially this year where he could be the guy to make that throw to win the game but at the same time like Mm -hmm. there have been at least four different situations where i was sitting there like cam should have never been in that situation to begin with based on the way the whole game went like I get it, you know, like quarterbacks like Tom Brady will will make those throws sometimes, but there's also times where he doesn't. But yeah, Cam doesn't have the Super Bowl rings to back that up. Cam doesn't have the the just the overall like many many winning seasons that justify those missed throws here and there. Like it sucks because there was the, like at the end of the game when you're sitting there and you see him miss like a guy like Darius Wright towards the end that could have won the game you're like wow man if he had just made that throw game would have been over game would have been won but there football is a long game there's a lot of plays that go in and this defense has let them down way more than cam over the last entire season to be honest like there's so many like if you had paired this offense with like 2015 defense you'd be talking about maybe a historically great scoring offense or scoring team in general just because that team bailed them out of so many bad situations like yeah and at that time everybody was like oh cam's the best quarterback in the league he's the number one rated overall player and that was when the defense was there to bail him out when he made a bad decision where in this nowadays he makes a bad decision that could be a huge game changer oh our record in games (laughs) he has like a single turnover is unbelievably bad yeah um, yeah, and it's like, and I said, like, I understand, like, yeah, Cam gets a lot of, you know, he, he deserves some flack for missing Jarius Wright a couple times on plays that could have won games, but, like I said, it's, and it, and saying that is fine, but I think there's just this kind of, I don't know, connotation to it, or this implication with it that that's what's to be expected of him, like, that's, that's the norm of, of Cam, is him missing open receivers and costing the team the game, and that's so like 
I don't have a problem with someone saying like, yeah, Cam played well or whatever, but he it sucked that he missed that third or right. It's more like it sucks that the game came down to Cam Newton because once again he blew it and missed missed Jarrett's right. It's like I don't know if that's the proper characterization of how <laughs> Cam impacts the game, where it's like, oh well, you don't want it to be in Cam's hands if the game's game's tight because this guy can't win football games. Yeah, when you make a cl- and I don't when know. you it just seems when you make a claim in that context, it's as if it's as if the like the like the entire team like strived and pushed him to that area to make that play and he didn't where that's not ex- that's not yeah. at all how it went it's usually that cam newton kept him in the game mm-hmm. and was able to get him into that position to score despite the rest of the team yep and then he makes a one mistake in a bad spot and like uh even like he played that game against the buccaneers he had a bad game he had the four interception game Philip Rivers, those four interceptions. Ben Roethlisberger, those four interceptions. You know, Aaron Rodgers, well, he never throws four interceptions. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes throws four interceptions. Everybody's like, yeah, he had a rough game. Cam Newton throws four interceptions. It's like, God, Cam Newton's garbage. Yep, not a good quarterback, you know, clearly. It's it's like he teeters, like when he's playing well, it's like this kind of, you know, hesitant app like acknowledgement that okay maybe he's playing well right now and the moment he makes a mistake it swings what like the pendulum swings all the way back to he's bad like way more rapidly than i see with anybody else that's cam newton we know or at least love. anybody that's in this yeah, yeah. Any, or at least the quarterbacks in his tier like he gets treated like he's kirk cousins or alex smith or like case keenum or something where you know like when they're playing well it's like yeah they're doing all right, and then the moment they have a, a rough game, it's like, yeah, that's the yeah, – what are the Vikings doing paying that guy all that money, you know? And it's like Cam Newton's kind of grouped in with that reaction, even though he should be treated like the the Breeze and Brady type. I mean, obviously he doesn't have the rec- the resume and longevity, but like in that elite quarterback thing where it's like, oh, yeah, Cam had a rough game, but he'll get, he'll get over it. Yeah, you put Cam with that Vikings offense, I guarantee they'd be like – they'd only have like two or three losses. Wow, could you imagine having Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs? It must be so nice. Yeah, must be so nice to have a $90 million quarterback who can't fucking win games with those two. <laughs> he'll throw it. He'll turn around and throw it backwards over his head to Dalvin Cook instead of throwing it to Adam Thielen wide open in the middle of the field. Yep. Kirk Cousins' experience there. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, do we have anything else we want to touch on here, John or Brad? Nope. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. All right. Well, Panthers play the New Orleans Saints on Monday Night Football in Carolina. So we're hoping for a win, but we're not really, I guess, expecting it. So it'd be a nice little Christmas present. Nice and gift wrapped by Santa Claus if the Panthers manage to beat the Saints. Just because that would be cool. Even if they don't make the playoffs, beating the Saints is always fun. Um... But regardless of the impact, or I should say the out the outcome and the impact, we will be here next week to discuss it. This is Brian, joined by Brad and John on the Keep Sounding podcast. Stay tuned. We are always on Spotify. We are always on iTunes. Check us out. Download, like, subscribe, share, do everything you can. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, John. See you. And thank you, Brad. Later. Keeps the football. Takes off to the end zone for the touchdown. 
He takes the handoff, and he scores! Avoided the Dolphins behind the line of scrimmage and took it in for the first touchdown of the night. Milton keeps, lowers his shoulder and takes it in for the touchdown. On second and goal, shovel pass for Caffrey, touchdown! And off dive for Jonathan Stewart, and he's in for a touchdown. That's intercepted by Kinkin. He has more of those than any linebacker in the league over the last five years. You know. It is good. And Carolina gets a road win in New England. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that for some reason or another, seems smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs> 